everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Imaging Resource Podcast. My name is Jaron Schneider, and today I am joined by the Senior Technology Manager for Sony Digital Imaging, Mark Weir, who's going to talk to us a little bit about some lenses that were announced today. Hello, Mark. Great to be with you, Jaron. So before we get to that, I want to quickly answer a question from last week's podcast from Terrell Woods. He emailed us after hearing our uh, hard drive conversation and said that, so after your podcast talking about storage, I went on Amazon and bought a QNAP NAS two-bay storage. Uh, He says he shoots 80% still in the rest video. He has a backup cloud storage with backblaze for everything, on-site network attached to a 10 terabyte drive only for process photos. He is not exactly sure what are the different drives from Seagate he should be looking into. He saw Barracuda, Iron Wolf, and Iron Wolf Pro. And this is actually something Karaminder is more into than I am. Uh, So I posed it to him. He was unable to join us today. But he says, easy answer, Iron Wolf, not Iron Wolf Pro. Pro is for enterprise grade, while Barracuda drives are consumer and not rated for NAS. So you're going to want to get the regular Iron Wolf's Terrell. So sorry to rush right through that, but I do want to get as quickly to Mark as possible. So firstly, Mark, uh, for anyone listening, they probably can hear a lot of ambient noise. Why? Where are we? What are we doing? <laughs> we are in El Capitan Canyon, north of Santa Barbara. It's a beautiful, crisp May morning, and uh, we're here with nature. So that uh, wind that you're probably hearing uh, is actual wind. Yes, <laughs> it is. Southern California wind. It's a beautiful day. So uh, what is the uh, the whole event here? What, what's the... There's maybe like 150 people around us. What's going on? Actually closer to 200. This is our Condo 1.0 event. Uh, we have all kinds of folks that um, are related to Sony. We have our Artisans of Imagery. We have our uh, Alpha Collective group. Uh, a whole bunch of photographers. Uh, we're enjoying nature and doing a lot of activities. Uh, we're sort of meeting up and having a great time. Um, you know, on the note of those Sony artisans, uh, do they contribute any ideas for future product development, like including optics or cameras? And if, if so, is it ever the case that they're active participants during lens development? Actually, one of the best parts of this um, event is our ability to communicate uh, with our uh, community and get a lot of feedback from them on our products, what they like, what they don't like, what they'd like to see from us next. And listening to uh, our end users is really an essential part of product development. So yes, ish. Absolutely. (laughs) That's good to hear. Um, I don't know really how anyone else does it, but I'm glad to hear that you guys are involved with your actual creators. It's nice. There's um, like, I didn't know this either. There are like two tiers of artisans or is, or there are three tiers of artisans because it's like the actual artisan group. And then there's the, the collective. I don't really understand how those work. Yeah, we have different relations with our end users. Um, uh, we have different, uh, different groups uh, of folks that we work with and, uh, but we're all related in that we're all um, using our Sony products and uh, creating fantastic images and video. Um, and we work with the creatives. Right on. So let's, uh, I'm going to stop beating around the bush and let's get right to it. So this morning, 
two new lenses were announced, the 12 to 24 millimeter f4 and the 16 to 35 millimeter f2.8 G Master. Absolutely. <clears throat> so are these, some of the questions that some people might have with this are, how are, are either of these compatible with screw-on filters? Well, uh, certainly the uh, the 16 to 35 is. It has uh, 82 millimeter filter threads, just like our 2470 F2HE Master. Uh, the 1635 sort of um, f uh, fills out the trinity of uh, F2.8 zoom lenses that many uh, many users are looking for. In the case of the 12 to 24, um, the front element of the lens is um, really to, to cover that kind of uh, uh, angle of view. The the front element is. Um, Sort Bulb. of bulbous, yeah. yes, and therefore uh, screw-on filters are not really um, possible with lenses of that type. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I guess to do that, you would need to have one of those adapters that goes on the bottom yeah. and creates the the screw-on. Yep. Um, so another question we have for you is the the FE sixteen to thirty-five f four ZAOSS lens has proven to be popular with photographers and uh, critics alike. Can you elaborate on what the 16 to 35 mm f2.8 G Master offers photographers besides a faster max aperture? Sure. Um, well, needless to say, f2.8 is something that uh, people have been asking for for a while. Yeah, not to underscore the importance of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is part of our G Master series. Um, uh, this is not a uh, this is not um, a Zeiss design. This is our G Master design, and it provides um, really the hallmark of G Master is the uh, sort of uh, combination of corner-to-corner -corner sharpness together with beautifully uh, um, background defocus that is so difficult to achieve in most lenses. There's plenty of sharp lenses in the world, but uh, the combining sharp lenses with beautifully uh, rendered background defocus is, is really quite a challenge, and that's really something that we aim for with our G Master lenses. Um, how do these two lenses compare in terms of construction and, and features? So like, uh, I, I actually personally have never seen the, uh, the the Zeiss one, so I can't say like what they what they look like or how they feel against each other. Well, um, the needless to say, building an f two eight is going to create a larger lens than an f four, no doubt about that. So it's a it's a larger and heavier lens, um, but the construction, you know, they're they're similar in nature. Uh, 16 to 35s, uh, particularly full frame 16 to 35s, are going to um, have extending front elements. Um, but we, all of our, all of our lenses for E-mount cameras are consistent in that we uh, use a silent electrically controlled autofocus, um, silent uh, electrically controlled iris. So rather than the uh, older mechanical designs with uh, a mechanical interface between the camera body and the lens, we're using electrical activators for um, with these lenses so that we can achieve silent function for uh, which is great not only for still but also for video capture as well. Um, Both of them are uh, constant aperture lenses, uh, the f4 and the f2.8 um, throughout their range. Uh, both of them, you know, provide outstanding field of view capability for full frame cameras. So you wouldn't say that one is replacing the other; they can coexist in the in the lineup. Together. Absolutely, yeah, and 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 that's um, that's that's similar to what other manufacturers are doing. Yeah, no, I agree. That's uh, good clarification, though, because there's always going to be that question. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, thus far, G Master lenses have placed a great emphasis on optics, including resolving power and uh, bokeh or bokeh. Can you elaborate further on what your G Master standards means in terms of the new 16 to 35 f 2.8? Well, we, we, uh, the 16 to 35 uh, meets the same standards that we have with, um, with 
uh, both at, that we've established with the 2470 and the 70 to 200G. And uh, uh, obviously uh, it um, is together with uh, the primes in the series as well, the 85F14 and the 100F28, uh, which was recently introduced. But uh, all of these lenses are designed um, to provide a resolving power for uh, you know, modern image sensors. Uh, that's <clears throat> not as common as you would uh, expect, but as image sensor uh, resol resolving power increases to the you know, 30 and 40 and even 50 megapixel uh, range, the resolving power of the lens has to match that capability if you're going to take advantage of the latest um, cameras that are being introduced. So uh, all of our G-Master lenses are designed to um, resolve at 50 line pairs per millimeter, uh, which is, you know, rather unusual. You don't see that happen very often. What would you say the norm is? Well, usually if you look at an MTF graph, you'll see 10 line pairs per picture height or 30 line pairs per picture height, but, but not, not 50. And uh, all of our G-Master lenses are designed to do that. Additionally, um, we use uh, the extremospheric uh, elements, which have a surface pre precision of about a hundredth of a micron. Uh, and that's really what allows us to have the combination of the corner-to-corner -corner sharpness together with the uh, beautiful bokeh. Yeah, speaking of that bokeh, which I can actually uh, speak to because I've shot with this lens already, um, I noticed it was really good. It was really pretty. And especially well, when I... When, uh, I I, the only thing I had really to compare it to was the 12 to 24, and I thought it was vastly superior to the 12 to 24's bouquet. So it was, it was, I guess the word people like to use is buttery. Mm -hmm. um, I, I find that to be a little odd, but you know it makes sense to some. And uh, I really do think that you guys did a, an excellent job with that 11 bladed aperture, and it was, it was pretty. It was really, especially wide open at f 2.8. Thanks. What would you say the target demographics for each of the new zoom lenses? is the so 12 to 24 and the 16 to 35 well um, needless to say uh, extreme wide angle coverage is uh, is often used for uh, architecture uh, interiors um, dramatic um, portraiture in some cases uh, landscapes um, but th there are a variety of applications and we're seeing more and more uh, innovative applications that we wouldn't have expected in the past um, so a 12 to 24 provides the kind of coverage that you really can't get any other way. Uh, and, and, and that is you know, the real appeal for that lens. But on top of it, with the 12 to 24, we've managed to have that kind of field of view together with a compactness and a low weight that is quite unusual. Usually for very wide coverage full frame lenses, you've got a lens of considerable size and considerable weight and what we've been able to do with the 12 to 24, by leveraging uh, the short flange back of our E-mount cameras, we're able to realize a size and weight that's um, really quite remarkable. In fact, it's uh, less than half the weight of uh, comparable 12 to 24s. I was just going to mention that the uh, the lens that I can most speak to is, is the uh, 11 to 24 uh, L from Canon, and that one is, I would say, considerably heavier than, than this one. And it, it, I. Uh, I will say it is a very light lens. I was pretty impressed by that. The 12 to 24 is is the widest E-mount lens available. Correct. Y yes, in full frame for sure. Yes, and that's something else that's worth mentioning. If 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 no one caught that, these are both full frame lenses, uh, and that's that's very, rather impressive. So, was an ultra wide zoom lens one of the most demanded lenses from photographers, and uh, what types of challenges were associated with developing an ultra wide zoom with a constant aperture that covers a full frame sensor? When you've got um, uh, 
that wide a field of view and a wide constant aperture, uh, the elements of the lens are going to be very large. The optical formula is going to be pretty complex and it's going to be very difficult to uh, manage aberrations um, and chromatic aberration particularly, mm -hmm. uh, especially at very, very wide angles towards the edges of the frame. It's also going to be very, very difficult to uh, maintain corner-to-corner -corner sharpness. It's not so hard to make that lens uh, you know, very, with very high resolving power in the center, but as you go out to the edges, particularly um, sharpness in the edges as well as a balanced field so that sharpness from side to side is even. And then, obviously, the biggest challenge of all is maintaining um, rectilinear frame without significant barrel distortion at the edges. Yeah. And um, I think the images kind of speak for themselves. We've managed to realize that. Um, but tell us about your experience with the lens. I was pleased. It, you, when, I, when you first described this to us, I, I, I I asked you if it was a rectilinear lens, and you, you, I don't think we can call it one because it's not actually perfect, but it is extremely close. Uh, and the corner-to-corner -corner sharpness is another, is another f set of words that I hear a lot from a lot of people. And um, I actually did go look at a corner and another corner and the center, and they were all the same sharpness. So I was pretty impressed with that. Uh, I like that 12 to 24 a lot. I, I actually really, really like that focal length personally. I like wide, wide uh, landscape shots. Um, so uh, that was a, it's, it's pleasant and it's nice to see. Um, would you say, I, I, this was kind of pushed at the beginning of the last question and you answered the second part, but would you say that th this type of wide angle lens was, was really sought after by, by Sony shooters? I know that there's a lot of them clamoring for like now a, a major zoom prime because of the A9, but would you say that there's an equal amount of push for that wide? We did get a number of requests, um, particularly, uh, you know, with only having a uh, up until now 16 millimeter frame coverage uh, for full frame, uh, we did we were getting a number of requests, and interestingly enough, we were getting requests for primes. Mm. Um, and uh, but you know the ability to, to deliver the kind of performance that one would expect from a prime, uh, but with a uh, a wide uh, ultra wide angle zoom is what we tried to do with this lens, and we were able to do it. So earlier you sort of touched on it, but I kind of want to go into this a bit more um, because video is obviously a very important uh, aspect of the cameras for Sony shooters. Um, can you, besides that quiet autofocus, if you maybe want to go into a little bit more about, about that on both of these lenses, uh, what else do these two um, lenses have that would be friendly to video shooters? Well, part of it's silent operation. Um, when, you're, when you're rolling, um, inter uh, Audible interference um, from the mechanics in the lens is, is always a problem. Uh, so silent operation, which would seem to be, um, uh, you know, almost a given, is actually very difficult uh, in a still camera lens, particularly a still camera lens that has uh, large elements that need to move. The second part of it is the ability to move quickly. Uh, if you think about it, video, the way a camera captures video, almost always uh, includes contrast uh, uh, autofocus detection. There are some examples that are emerging. I mean, we have phase AF in, uh, in video capture in some of our cameras, and uh, others are developing that technology as well. But by and large, uh, contrast AF is the rule rather than the exception in, uh, when you're capturing video. And the ability of the lens to move quickly to help the camera with its contrast detection becomes an essential element. If you have very large uh, front-mounted uh, focus groups, 
the ability to work with contrast AF is very difficult. And the last thing in the world you want to have is hunting while you're capturing video. So creating uh, internal focus groups, floating focus groups that can move very rapidly uh, to support contrast AF is almost an essential element of uh, capturing video smoothly with AF. And uh, that's something that we're able to do with this type of lens design that's actually quite different from the way conventional interchangeable lenses for SLRs are created. So silent uh, movement together with um, very light internal focus groups um, is very important for video. And we incorporate that in all of these lenses. Um, how much uh, of a thought went into the manual focus guys for this one? Um, a lot, because it's difficult for us to um, abandon autofocus in these lenses. Obviously, there are cinema lenses which are uh, strictly manual focus, and it would be great to be able to offer uh, uh, cinema versions of these lenses, but needless to say, we'd like to have these lenses cater to uh, uh, you know, multiple groups of users. So one of the things that we've been doing in our G Master lenses is uh, uh, striving to realize the same type of um, focus responsiveness with manual focus rings uh, as you would get in a cinema lens but at the same time maintaining autofocus capability. The challenge with a lens is that if it has autofocus capability directly coupling it mechanically uh, to a manual focus ring is almost impossible uh, because otherwise the focus group wouldn't be able to move at the rate that it needs to. And it certainly wouldn't be able to move silently, or it would be very difficult to engineer it that way. So what we've done in our G Master lenses is we've actually created um, uh, uh, optical encoders that translate the rotation of the focus ring to the point where the movement of the focus group that it's, that it's controlling can be, as put it this way, much, much closer to direct coupling uh, than ever before. And we feel that the, um, the responsiveness of the manual focus is is, is getting very, very close to being uh, as if it was a directly coupled uh, ring. That's good to hear, because I, I, I will say there's some um, lenses of similar design that I've been less than pleased with the way that they will that they'll focus. It, yeah, just, the, it doesn't feel right. The focus by wire feel that you get with an autofocus, um, w with many autofocus lenses, is just not what um, video creatives are looking for, yeah. and we've studied that, and and we've um, we believe we've significantly improved the responsiveness to the point where um, it's 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 right up there with a directly uh, coupled lens. Um, does the image? stay centered through the zoom range on both yeah. these lenses? Yeah, needless to say, there's plenty of other um, requirements for video in lens design that you know go beyond mechanics. Um, there's focus ramping, there's focus breathing. Yeah, the breathing, how do, how, how do they breathe? I mean, with wide angles, it's less of a huge deal. But. Sure, but maintaining plane of focus through the zoom range uh, so that you can zoom while rolling without having to refocus. That's an essential ingredient. And uh, we've, we've incorporated that into many of our lens designs. And as you say, it's not that important for wide angle because you have so much depth of field to work with. But uh, focus ramping um, and eliminating or, or reducing to the point where it's unnoticeable um, in our G Master lenses is something that we do. But another one that's very important is uh, axial shift. Because as you're, as you're operating through the zoom range while you're rolling, if uh, centering of the, um, of the image uh, is shifting, that's going to be a problem as well. And needless to say, uh, constant aperture is 
an essential ingredient as uh, as you're changing the focal length uh, while you're rolling. As Which well. both of these are gratefully. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, getting to the end here of the questions that we have here for you, but uh, were there any particular lessons you could say were learned when designing other G Master lenses uh, that helped in developing the 16 to 35 f2.8 GM lens? The mechanical design of a lens is, um, is, is, is a big part of the development cycle and it takes a lot of uh, time and effort. Um, and, and, and you know, just the, just the dimensions, the shape, of the lens, uh, one of the things that the 2470 gave us is a great starting point, because with a 2470 and um, a 16 to 35, uh, we can share um, much of the mechanical design from a um, from a size and weight point of view. Um, obviously, the the internal optical formula is completely different, um, but the but structurally, um, we can we can share a similar design, and that um, that helped us a lot. But the real challenge in creating a, a, a fixed aperture, wide-angle, full-frame lens is, uh, particularly if you're going to have very high resolving power and um, a, a beautiful look to the lens, is the um, is the elements themselves. And actually, we the largest uh, extremospheric that we've ever made is is used in the 16 to 35, and. Uh, um, it really pushes the limits of glass molding technology to be able to mold an element like that. You're really not going to, you know, use conventional grinding for an element like that. It's, I mean, the shape is too, uh, too aspheric, but uh, we really push the limits of glass molding technology to realize that size of an element in that <laughs> configuration together with that surface precision. You, got, in, your, in your presentation to us, mentioned that the uh, 12 to 24 competes very well, you, you'd say, with the 11 to 24 Canon L lens, um, but it does, it's not a G Master. So that is, I, I think, going to be an interesting concept for some people because like that, the L series is Canon's top tier and the G Master is yours, but you have a lens that you think competes with their top tier and is not listed in your top tier. Is there a particular reason why the the 12 to 24 is not a G Master. Like, what what makes a G Master that it doesn't have? Yeah, we're gonna we're probably gonna get that question a lot. Um, I think that that although we strive for different um, qualities in lens performance, uh, obviously we have our Sony lenses, we have our G series lenses, we have our Zeiss lenses, we have G Master lenses. We strive to um, achieve very high performance in each of those categories, but also we tailor um, what is uh, what we can do, and we also tailor what's practical to do uh, for each of the lenses. Um, it was not our purpose to uh, uh, to not make this a G Master lens. It was uh, I, I think it was really more of a how do we realize a lens with these characteristics, and um, how can we um, make that. Uh, fit the needs of our end users. Um, obviously, uh, we could strive to put that in a G Master configuration, but at the same time, uh, creating some of the elements, creating the characteristics of the elements in order to um, have it operate at that level, uh, first of all, may have pushed the limits of what our technology can produce. And it also might have pushed the limits of what uh, end users were looking for. Uh, because I, I think lens technology today can realize a variety of different characteristics, but fitting it to the requirements of the end user is really the essential ingredient. 
there are lenses that are created that are you know, works of art, so to speak. Um, but whether or not they match the requirements of the end user, maybe not so much. So I think that the purpose here is not to you know, achieve or put it in a different tier of performance, but rather to take a look at what the end users require and how do we meet those needs the best. And when it comes to a lens like a 12-24, to which is, you know, I mean, not many really offer that type of lens in that configuration, uh, we wanted to achieve not only the performance, but we wanted to do something a little bit different than what others have done to date, and that is to leverage um, the, you know, the way a, uh, an E-mount camera, a mirrorless camera works, and say, hey, can we make a lens like this? Can we get it to perform at this level? And then can we make it half the weight of other comparable lenses so that you can enjoy that kind of performance and that kind of uh, field of view to create images in a situation that you wouldn't otherwise be able to. Or you, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be convenient to do it. You wouldn't, you, you know, let's face it, a lens that's over a thousand grams that has that kind of field of view, you may not take it to all of the places that you would otherwise. Right. But if you've got it, if you've got that performance in half the weight, I mean, that's really one of the most remarkable parts of the 12 to 24 is you pick it up and it's like, really? So um, I think that that value of uh, providing creatives with something different than what they've experienced in the past, that's a lot of what we try to do in terms of meeting their requirements. So many will ask, well, hey, how come this isn't a G Master lens? Um, I, I, I think the answer to the question is because we wanted to um, meet the needs of the end users um, as best as we could. Right on. Well... I can say from personal experience, it was it was very fun shooting with both these lenses. Uh, I I would like to shoot more with them. Uh, we only got to really shoot in uh, some pretty harsh light. I'd like to see how they they do in like sunrise, sunset, or indoors. Um, some of the photos that you guys provided, the, uh, the for us to take a look at what they've done that you've you've had other people shoot, they looked spectacular. Um, some of the architecture shots, the lines were really spot on, and I was I was really impressed with it. So I'm. Uh, my last question to you is where can if someone was interested in trying this lens and I don't know where they live like, like they're not in New York they can't go physically to B&H and try it out how can someone get their hands on this to decide if this is if this is right for them do you do you guys have any way for them to try that do you have a, a program for anyone to try something like this well I, I think the best way for um, for any uh, end users to test out a product um, is is through rental you know um, there are uh, a number of um, local um, rental options um, at uh, uh, um, you, you know in, in larger cities, of course. But then again, you've got options um, on the internet. There's uh, internet rental companies um, that make it very easy to get a lens uh, or a camera and try it out, and you know get it the next day in many cases. And uh, and we expect that these lenses will be available through the rental agencies very very quickly after their introduction. The 12 to 24 is coming at the end of July and the 16 to 35 will be coming at the end of August. And uh, as a final question, what are the, the price points on both of those? The, uh, the, the 12 to 24 is gonna be 16.99, and the, uh, 16 to the 16 to 35 will be 21.99, just like the 24.70. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, uh, I think that's, thank you very much for, for taking the time to chat with us uh, Hey, it's my pleasure, today. thanks for having me on. Um, 
with that, if you guys have any questions, I'd be happy to actually forward these on to Mark, uh, for, and we'll answer them uh, on the podcast next week. If you have any questions, you should email us at podcast at imaging-resource.com. Uh, with that, uh, this is a slightly shorter podcast than we normally do, but I think it was full of a lot of really good, helpful information. And, uh, well, we'll catch you all next week. Thank you.